This is Colossus, and you are listening to The High Regard Show. The High Regard Show. It's... We don't make mistakes. We have happy accidents. Check out The High Regard Show. New episodes every Monday. Hey everybody, I'm Tom. And I'm Nikki. And this is the High Regard Show. In which we talk about things we hold in high regard. Very high. High above Harlem. Way up on the third floor. Moving on up. Oh, it don't get better than that. No, sir, it doesn't. This is it, Nikki. It is, Tom. This is the week of the big show at the Gotham Comedy Club in New York City. Get ready for some laughter. Well, I'll have, I guess, a joke or two. I've been laughing. You've been laughing in the beginning, but I feel like you've heard it so many times, you're just like, I can't freaking wait for Monday. It's not, that's not true. I really, like, there's still, like, the one joke that just, like, no matter how many times I hear it, like, it just still, like, makes me chuckle, like, out loud. But I've been doing it, like, timing it for you, so I think I've been doing a good job. It's funny, because I'm I could fat. do the act. That's really what it comes down to. It's not funny, because you're fat. <laughs> that one joke is it's funny, because I'm fat. No, it's funny, because it's true, and I'm not going to give anything away, but it's true, because you are a very noisy person. Mm-hmm. Well... If you have not gotten your reservations yet, please call the Gotham Comedy Club. The show is tomorrow night, Monday the 7th, or tonight if you're listening to it, you know, on Monday like you're supposed to, (laughs) as opposed to a creeper and scanning our accounts and listening to the show before time when it comes out. If you're one of our stalkers, thank you. That's right. Thank you. You SoundCloud stalker. (laughs) Um, Tickets are $12. For the Gotham Comedy Club that night, it is the graduation show. There'll be, like, a bunch of comics, and there will also be professional, real comics there to catch us when we fall, (laughs) along with maybe some surprise guests we were told, but don't count on it. But you never know who's going to show up. You never know. I mean, we've been there, and, like, a lot of famous people have shown up, so it was pretty cool. Who? Who showed up (gasps) when we were there? Well, Jim Brewer was there one night, which was really exciting. I love Jim Brewer. I love him. But then also... Jerry Seinfeld popped in and I almost shit my pants. That was mind blowing because we went to just like a regular taping because mm-hmm. they do, um, what is it? Uh, Gotham like Live Access, yeah. on Access TV. Mm-hmm. And um, the comics are always, always awesome, which is really like one of the like catalysts that made us say, I got to sign up for this. Right. Yeah. Because we're very funny. Yeah. And I say we, not just you. <laughs> yeah. And I say, yeah. And then <laughs> and then all of a sudden the show ends and then all of a sudden they're like a special guest and Seinfeld comes out and did like a five to eight minute set and it was like, holy crap, man. It was Yeah, it was completely mind blowing because it was like one of these nights where they're like, please still come to the show. Like we're going to give you like. Because it, it was snowing like, out. No, it yeah. was like a horrible, horrible snowstorm. And then it was just like, oh my God, because I was a huge Seinfeld fan. Like that was one of my favorite shows. When I got my first job and we had to like pick our schedules, I'm like, I can't work on Thursdays. That was like a serious thing. 
<laughs> like I was like, I can't work on Thursdays because of this half hour comedy show because there was no like TiVo or anything back then. So you had right. to watch it live. Right. We we used to go there a lot to the act. Actually, when we went to Gotham, I feel like we went there like every week for months. Oh my God. Once a week at least. Yeah. And I mean, it's an awesome, awesome place. It is a really cool place. So, so you should definitely come tomorrow or month today if you're listening to this on Monday. Come March on 7th. Monday. It's March 7th. March 7th. Let's just say March 7th. March 7th. I, like I said, I think tickets are 12 bucks. There'll be plenty of funny running around the room. And um, it's a two-drink minimum, but, you know, you could cheap it up a little bit by getting sodas instead of boat drinks. Oh, boat drinks. Oh, That's yeah. That's what you would be drinking if you're in the audience, I know. Mm, I don't know, man. It, being the month of March, I feel like I would have to drink something green. And you know my go-to green drink. And if you don't know, it's a Yes, I do love a grasshopper. Tom loves girly drink drunk. I certainly do. <laughs> I certainly do. I like anything pink. I like anything <laughs> green. I like whatever. I don't care, man. I don't even really drink that much alcohol. So what's it matter at the end of the day? Exactly. So you should just have like that grasshopper if you goddamn want it, Tom. Thank you. I appreciate it. Now that I can't have any alcohol at all, <laughs> why don't you offer me something else I can't have? You can have this bag of a million dollars, too. Sure, I can. Sure, I can. So that is Monday, March 7th. If you're in the New York City area, Gotham Comedy Club is downtown 23rd Street between 7th and 8th. All of the information will be in this week's show description, as it has been for the last couple of weeks. We have a pretty good crowd showing up, too, actually. Yeah, we do. So it's going to be a party. Come, yeah. come check it out. So now that our business end of things are done. <laughs> now that our self-promotion has been done. You know, I say the business end of things, and the first thing I think of is your dad, Denny. Why? Because I feel like every time he says the business end of, it always ends with, like, a cow. Or a horse or That's a deer. Not, he has never once said anything of this. I sort. am telling you, he has said the business end of a deer. Or I was in a tree stand and while I was hunting, I saw the business end of a buck. What's the business end? Wouldn't the business end be the mouth part? Because like that's you would talk for business. Yeah, but you don't eat the mouth part you eat like the rump the rump is where the good roasts are you're gonna eat the deer ass well not the canal or anything <laughs> could we move on <laughs> jesus i don't know what goes on in the woods man i feel like whatever oh, my whatever. god we're a long way from the streets of new york city but let's just get on with it if laughs are what you're looking for and you don't want to wait for them until tomorrow night Here's another one of Nikki's You Heard. You Heard? So I'm going back to the archives for this You Heard because it goes with the theme of the show that's about to follow. And it comes to us from 2010, I believe, when we came in to New York City to go to the MoMA exhibit of Tim Burton. And I remember we were just like, it was our first trip together and we were just like wandering through looking at all these like weird images from this very, very weird man. And there were all these people just like these, and it was like, 
the first experience I could remember going to like a New York City museum and people are just like, like exactly what you would imagine them to be. And I've not had that experience since because I guess I've become a New Yorker in my mind. But people were walking around and everybody's like looking at it with that like, pers- what is, what am I looking for? That like, what's the P word? Je ne sais quoi? No, that oh, like. I like that word mm, though. Like that judgmental, like all that stuff. And we're standing next to him and we're looking at something going like, wow, that's like a really cool piece of art from like when he was like a teenager or something and somebody like sidles up next to us and like pushes us out of the way and goes you could really sense his angst when you look at this picture is it pretension is the word pretension pretentious yes i knew it man i was thinking about that the whole time i know you were i could tell because you were not i know when you're not (laughs) listening to me and that was definitely like tom not listening i'm gonna have to edit this i'll be able to listen to it later but i figured i at least wanted to get the word out thank you i'm so glad that we all have the p word that i had said five minutes ago so yes so that is this week's you heard You know, I got to say, when you say I'm pulling this out of the archives, the first thing I think of is like a long time ago, the radio station here in New York, WNEW, used to have the rock and roll archives. Mm -hmm. And I used to work for a big music magazine, and I'm not going to say which one because it was a cluster, (laughs) but they used to have this like album library i can imagine and they called it the archive room and you would go in and what it really was all the special albums were in one room but the hallways were lined with bookshelves and just like uncountable amount of records like you would be there for weeks like counting all the records they had like lined up in the walls and i'm like going man that's an archive I'm looking around this tiny apartment and looking for the shelves to find out to all of the you heard archives that you have <laughs> stored away somewhere. It must be digital. It it's, must be digital. It's in my mind, actually. That's the archive that I use. The fact that you can remember anything from 2010, knowing how you abuse your mind, <laughs> you can't remember anything from two hours ago. Right. I can't remember like work-related things or stuff like that, but... My, I, I have a, a date. Like, I remember dates, like, whatever. Except that, like, I'm really not sure when, that, when the date of that show was. So, whatever. It's weird to me that it was, you can remember that this situation happened in 2010, but you couldn't remember the word pretentious. Well, hey, Tom, <laughs> it's, I'm not perfect. I'm not an expert. I've said that before, so... Oh, we remind people every week. Yeah. We have no choice. Yeah. I feel like it's a legal matter at this point. <laughs> <laughs> We're like the Wikipedia for the wrong. <laughs> and they're wrong. <laughs> We're like the worst Wikipedia page. <laughs> Good God. That could be any Wikipedia page. <laughs> so let's talk about what this week's show is going to be about. Um, the best thing to come from declining health as we have found out, is we get to watch a lot of extra TV. Mm-hmm. Well, for you, yeah, you love that. I do love that. And I, and, it, and it just, me personally, I would much rather sit on the couch and watch some kind of weird independent film than some, you know, award-winning bore fest. Because really, who gives a shit about some woman that's locked in a room? 
I would I would pray to be locked in a room personally. <laughs> like I would be like going, I don't understand how that's necessarily a punishment. Every once in a while, someone comes in and gives you a little, you know, pounding, oh and then walks out, and it's kind of like that's good. I like it. <laughs> All right, and then like that's you leave me alone on my couch. Do I have a couch in this locked room? All right. Yeah, that's it. This underground bunker. Get to hang out with the kids for a little bit. <laughs> Everything's good. I don't understand what the problem is, but. In one of these semi-rare instances, you and I actually got to sit down and watch a movie. Mm-hmm. And it was about H.R. Geiger. I'm going to say it with the accent. I'm going to say it with the I know it's Geiger. Geiger. I'm going to say it Geiger. Okay. Because I love how they say it like it sounds mm-hmm. so angry. It does, yeah. Like his work. And um, it's called the documentary was called Dark Star. And I got to say, man. I love artist documentaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When they're done right. There are some that I have seen in the past where I was just like, you are boring as shit. Like the arc, I saw the arc crumb one. I, I don't know. Did you see we that watched, with me? Yeah. And I was just like, man, I love your work. You're kind of a cool, perverted dude. But the filming, but it was but, also oh. done like in the 80s or 90s or something. So it was just very, and he is very off putting. Like his work is really cool, but like, he as a person is very off-putting. We're like, Giger, there is just something magnetic about him. He's like a little, he's like a little, like a gnome. He is like a little gnome. <laughs> and like when you see his home, and like the movie is called um, Dark Star, H.R. Giger's World, and it was directed by Belinda Salen, and it's from 2014. Like it was filmed like from 2013 to 2014. And it's on Netflix, which is where we watched it. Right? Like it was yeah, it was on Netflix okay. last night. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know if it was on like one of our other services that we use or whatever, but Netflix. And <laughs> it was just so good. It was. And, you know, it's weird because when you see what I like to call the dark arts, which is like just not witchcraft and wizardry and magic. <laughs> But just art that kind of gives you angst when you look at it. Like, you, it's so weird because you'll go to like the Museum of Modern Art Mm -hmm. and people will make like really ridiculous comments. Like, I feel angst when I see this picture of orchids. Or you could sense his angst. Yeah. Like, oh, these orchids are just, oh, so there's such a suspense in these pictures of these lilies. (laughs) <laughs> and it's like going, no, man. You look at the Geiger stuff, it will it will fucking scare the shit out of you, some of it. It will, it will. But, you know, and, like, the thing that, like, the reason that I wanted to go with this, like, you heard that we had from, like, years ago is because when you look at Geiger's art, it is very dark. And But one of the things that, like, and, like, the whole time we're watching this movie last night, you know, we're looking at these things. And if you're not familiar with with his work, you should definitely look it up. But he also did, you know, and Tom will talk about this a little later because he's more of the expert on it than I am. But, like, Giger won an Oscar for his special effects for the Alien films, which, you know, were some of the scariest films that, like, some people have seen. But when you're looking at his art, and I mean, like, this, the documentary maker 
focused like she gets so deep into his art in these like you know like she'll pan in and like show you because some of his artwork is like the size of like an entire wall or like an entire room but like as you're looking at it you're almost disturbed but then as she takes you in almost like because some of the themes of his artwork are like birth life and death so like as you're going through this like you feel like scared when you see it like as a whole but then when you see this like the intricacies of how these curves are to me like I was anxious watching it but then it was just like I got drawn into this world because you would think that he was like the most unhappy person in the world and he had a wonderful childhood his mother he had such a great relationship with his mother so it's not like he was beaten in an underground lair his whole life like he was generally a very happy polite person and that was one of the things that like when i did the research on the film this morning that the the director was very surprised because she expected him to be the just like this dark kind of like asshole kind of person and he was very polite he doesn't he doesn't like talking about or he didn't like talking about himself but it was like when you look at his art it breathes it's human but it's like this like mechanical like you know because that was the thing that they called it like biomechanical or something like that where it was like mechanically human and things and that was just really fascinating to me yeah, he he does this amazing thing where he combines these elements that just don't belong. And I think that's where the fear comes from. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you see, like, the face of a woman and then body parts made out of machines mm-hmm. or valves that are showing or, you know, it's it's strange. And I feel like a lot of the uneasiness comes from the fact that all of his art, whether you realize it or not, and it was explained very well in the documentary, mm-hmm. was it is about a life cycle. He he constantly, throughout all of his pieces, show life, you know, beginning, mm-hmm. then the development of, and then the end. Every one of his pieces have those three elements, which isn't, which shouldn't be scary because it's what we, every single human being on this planet, goes through. But it's something that no one really wants to face or talk about. Nobody wants to talk about the fact that, you know, we're gonna die at some point. And his artwork portrays like the violence of birth. And, like, you know, I think at one point they were specifically talking about, like, and I think they said it was Freud who said, we don't remember things or acknowledge um, in the psychological world things that happen pre-birth because it is such a violent way of life's beginning that right, we yeah. decide to just forget about it. Yeah, his psychiatrist, who was also, like, an author who I think did a book on him, was the person that said that in the movie, so yeah, and it's, and it's true, because, I mean, life isn't an easy start. Like, it's it never was. I'm sure it never will be. Like, <laughs> it, it, it's, you know... It's disgusting the way life starts. Well, yeah, it's disgusting, but, I mean, <laughs> at the end of the day, I mean, you know, you're you're in a cool, calm place where you're existing and you're growing and then you're basically torn from it and then you're thrown into this you know new environment and you got to find a way to adapt and survive right yeah and most people don't want to acknowledge that part or think and that's why he you know there's the um 
thought that nobody wants to think back or remember those days. So we just abandon those thoughts and move on and go about life. And then, you know, the way his art is, it's like the beautifully shaped curvature of like the human oh, anatomy. The curves, yes. But then like the harshness of things prodding into people and just like the darkness of what life is, like the way he uses light and dark and contrast. To make it a living, breathing piece of work. Yeah, and then finally, death, which is where all of his work ends. And it was crazy because in it they show, like, you know, and we don't want to give too much away. Like, I feel like people, especially if you're interested in any kind of art, should totally check out the documentary because it is very mm -hmm. well done. Even though Rotten Tomatoes wasn't a big fan of it. No, Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> like, gave it um, a 6.3, I believe, out of 10, which, or 6.8, hold on, I have it written down. 6.3 out of 10, which I think is kind of bullshit. Yeah, but it's his property, even. Like, he turned oh, yeah. his house... Into this, like, wonderland, almost. Yeah, it's like a train that goes, tr like, a, like, around, like, this whole, you know, like basically living museum for the most part yeah, of like, like his artwork like it's got these like doors that like as the train approaches like they open just before you were about like when you think you're gonna like crash into the doors they open and you just like ride around and then it goes like into part of his house which i feel his house um he lived his his house is in switzerland um and it's weird because like the way that they show you coming up to it like you're into this like wooded area like you know like this kind of street with like some other houses that seem far apart and then like you go into like this house that's just like overcome by trees and green and i'm just like oh my god it's very lush but like the house kind of just like on the outside just is like what is like this is where this guy lives <laughs> and then like you walk in and his artwork is everywhere it's like not one wall is has any exposed part it's just his artwork like he painted directly onto these walls and then he's got like pictures hanging in other parts and stuff and there's books i would say hundreds of thousands of books there had to be like thousands and thousands and thousands of books piled in like a clawfoot tub in the middle of like one of these rooms and it has like all these nooks and crannies and he could barely because he was like you know he's a big guy he was like just like and he's shown paddling through this home and up these stairs and like there's hardly any room to like pass through because there's so much of his life and just like this house breathes and the weird thing is is like you think like okay he lives in like like the middle of nowhere in this like wooded area and then i guess like a drone camera goes up and he is literally feet from like the, the modern world. Yeah, he's he's like right by the city. He is hidden away out in the open. And that is just so fascinating. But like all creepy things, that's really the way it is. The threat is right there. So I feel like that also is part of his art. Like the darkness is right outside of where you are at all times. Right, exactly. And that's like his his manner. And his wife, um, who was filmed, like his, his current wife, who was his wife up until he died in 2014, um, she had said that, like, you know, you come face to face with the dark side before you could see the light in the film. And it's true. And it's like, you have to be open to that because maybe, like, when, uh, when that person was looking at Tim Burton's art, like, you could really sense his angst. Could you? Because I feel like I can somehow... Like, when I write poetry, 
I go dark, but like I wouldn't necessarily describe me as like a 100% dark person because there are points where I'm just like happy to be, I'm taking a breath today. It's sunny out. Like I'm happy even when like all the shit around us is piling up as it has been the past couple weeks, which has taken its toll. Has it been? (laughs) Like it has taken its toll on us, but like still like I'm trying to, there's things to be happy about, you know? So it's not necessarily like, oh, my God, I had a horrible childhood. Oh, my God, I'm angsty. I'm depressed. He wasn't any of those things for the most part. For the most part. It was just what he saw in his head. And that's like how he could express himself. I mean, he goes through hard times like everybody goes through hard times. But his work is consistently what it is. So you can't say that he's depressed all the time or angry all the time. It's the same thing with the Tim Burton. The the Burton exhibit... When people were looking at those things and say, oh, I can sense the angst, it was pictures he did in college and high school. Like, that was the section we were in Mm -hmm. front of at the time. You are not that dark at that young of age. I like to think I was. (laughs) Like, in high school, I used to be like, you know, I had a rough junior high year and and prior to that, getting into high school, Going into a new situation, I used to love to think that I was dark, like there was nobody as, you know, as dark as I was. Like I would do sick shit. Looking now back at that, that's just all kid stuff. Right. You're not really that dark, like at that age. Darkness comes as you realize what life really is. And you don't know what life is when you're in high school. Right. And a lot of, and he said a lot of his work came from dreams that he had, mm-hmm. you know, and like things that he was afraid of. Like one of the thing, one of the main catalysts of his work was when he went to this museum when he was a child with his sister and there was a mummy that scared him. And like he just like, and his sister laughed at him, like called him a baby and, you know, picked on him like siblings do. And for like months or weeks, I forget what the movie said, he went back to that museum every single week until he got over his fear of this mummy. And then like they show a scene of like the museum curator or somebody bringing the mummy out because I guess it's not on display anymore because, you know, this, this was years and years and years ago. And like they unveiled just like the face of the mummy. And it's like, holy shit, like that is creepy. Like it would like, and my heart was pounding while I was like watching them like unwrap the mummy's face. And then they cut to a scene of like his work. And it's like so much of his work has the mummies everywhere from that, like yeah. the Egyptian and the curves and the like that female Egyptian form has been in his artwork because he faced his fears and made it beautiful. He made it work for him. He made that fear his bitch. He did. I was going to say he made that his biatch. <laughs> oh, man. So, again, if if you're not familiar with his work, you can look at any Aliens movie, like, in the franchise. He designed the alien, mm-hmm. usually the worlds that, you know, the alien mm-hmm. was on, like, the, the eggs. The, the eggs was kind of funny because yeah, he talked about, funny. like, you know it looking too vagina-like when he first made it. And then they made him remake the eggs, and he did it, and it looked even more obscene than yes, it did the first time he ma- they made him, like, make it, like, a cross shape because they wanted to show it in, like, Catholic countries, the film. So he made it, like, a cross shape. And it was so funny because he didn't really speak a whole lot in the film. Like, he just kind of, like, 
you know, like, oh, uh, like talk about, there's other people that are more deserving of this, whatever. But like he said, so now it's doubly obscene. And then like he just had this like creepy, like little <laughs> smi- this smile. Like you just kind of like fall in love with him. Like he just, because there's like an, there's a sadness to him. Well, he's been through a lot. Yeah, he's been through a lot. Like he lost his first love who like was his muse, you know, it did very tragically. And, you know, and she's been in his artwork ever since, you know. Yes, her, her the depiction of her is flooded throughout everything Every, he has ever done. Every single thing he's ever done. Yeah. And it's weird because he's been divorced since. Mm-hmm. And now, rem- well, until he passed away, right. he was remarried. But he always went back to her. Mm-hmm. And and you and I were talking about like what is it like for the two wives that came after her, knowing that every time he paints something, it's not of them. But the thing is, is that the two women that came after her, that he was with for years, they both were so like they he has a type like as they say like because they were very similar because as you were talking to his wife like you you meet you met his current wife while the filming was happening and then you find out about this woman that died before then and i honestly thought that it was just a picture of his current wife in the past because there were so many similarities between the two or between you know the three main women of his life so like it's kind of like you could be painting her, but like you could be painting me as well. So like, yeah, but and- I think that the movie made it very clear oh, yeah. that those images were of his first wife. But the thing too was like they show the current wife getting together with the ex-wife because the ex-wife lived in his like ancestral home in this beautiful you know mist-covered mountain in Switzerland, which was wonderful. And like they get out and like they hug and they kiss and like so it seemed like. A communal love for this man and his work which was all which was just very beautiful to me those neutral countries man <laughs> everybody gets Europe. along in those neutral countries <laughs> you europeans you try that shit here in the states man <laughs> ain't nobody getting along you can see you on a roof with a slingshot if the ex ever pulled up in front of our apartment <laughs> i have been very polite to her you have been very polite for her unnecessarily it's just because there's no word bubbles above my head. <laughs> Thankfully, there's no word bubbles above your head for many reasons. <laughs> I feel like you wouldn't make it from the subway station to our front door if there were. <laughs> so, you know, I started thinking after we, like, watched a documentary about, like, other artists. Because watching that, there was definitely, like I said, an emotional attachment. For sure. And And it's weird because... We used to be members of the Museum of Modern Art, Mm -hmm. and I've been to the Met a million times, and the Museum of Natural History a trillion times. But, like, you can walk past, like, a Van Gogh, and you could see it, and you could say, I recognize beauty in that. Mm -hmm. And, and, And it's touching. But there are just a few artists, I feel like, where you can look at it, and it stirs an emotion that is different from all other art. Right. Like, it's not an emotional... Like, I feel like a lot of people can do, you know, an image that will, like, incite joy. Because everybody thinks that, you know, sure. if you're going to create art, it should be to, to to like, you know, drum up some kind of happiness. Which is why there's so many fucking flower paintings. Right, And yeah. every greeting card has swirly lines on it. And posters <laughs> are of serene beaches where you'd want to, like, spend the rest of your life. But there is that section of art, which I feel is more powerful, 
where it taps into making you uncomfortable. But then making you, but almost like facing that uncomfortableness like he did. And Jen, then you could see past the initial fear and see the beauty of the reality, the surrealism. Right. And I would say one of my first encounters with somebody who created art such as this Mm -hmm. was an artist named Joe Coleman. Mm -hmm. And it was a few years back. Um, A few. A few years back. (laughs) Shut up, Nikki. (laughs) Fuck, man. I'm not that old. I Whatever. So once upon a time, I met this guy (laughs) named Joe Coleman. (laughs) In a galaxy far, far away. (laughs) So this guy at one point was the shit. And it's so strange to me that like more people don't know him. Because... Joe Coleman was this underground artist. His stuff was very bizarre and violent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, reading interviews on it today, like I was reading some articles on it today, like really quick for show prep. And one of the things that stood out to me, which like undoubtedly describes him perfectly, is if P.T. Barnum needed somebody to draw images to bring people in to the world's freakiest of the freak shows, mm-hmm. he would be the guy they would call oh and gosh, get yeah. way more bang for their buck than anything they've ever done right, in yeah. their history. He when I when I met with him, I met with him in uh, he was living in the city. Uh, I drove him from Long Island, and he explained to me his process, which was he would paint with a single haired brush. So the detail of his work is just like nothing you have ever seen before. I can't even fathom like the patience that it would take to do something like that. It would take months to do anything. And at the time, he had people waiting for like years. For commissions. For commissions. And you never know what you're going to get. Like he could just be like, this is the mood I'm in. And if you don't like the picture, fuck you, man. You got to pay for it. You you bought that painting years ago. There's no outline of it and stuff like that. This Whatever comes, comes from within him. Mm-hmm. The thing that stood out about Joe <laughs> Coleman compared to, you know, Giger was Giger was a normal guy, a hoarder. When you saw around his house, he had all of his shit. Everywhere. It was controlled, but he had a lot of stuff over the years. Mm -hmm. Like, he produced an insane amount of work. Like, that was one thing, too, that I was just like, how, like, because I've been a writer for quite a number of years, you know, whether professional or amateur, you know, in my past. But, like, how the fuck did you find the time to do so much work? Work. There is millions of pieces of artwork in that house. And detail. The de- detail. Like, it's not like, you know, it's not like a sketch and you hang it up or there's this pile of like quick sketches. Yeah. I mean, there were sculptures that you look at and you're like, holy shit. Like, yeah, like from sculptures to paintings to drawings, yeah, to, yeah. books, like just everything. It was like an entire world in every single piece. Well, Coleman's apartment, not so much like that. <laughs> when I and, and and now I I've read that he's in Connecticut, so he might have needed a bigger place to put his <laughs> coffins. When when he invited me into his apartment, um, his lair. It was a little tiny apartment, 
and it was in a dump of a building. Like what location? Like where? What part? Of the um, I want to say that it was like by 14th Street. Okay. So that. again, this is going back like years. Yeah. And um, I remember going in so vividly and going up to this shitty stairwell, got to his door, knocked on it. He opens it up. He looks like... He looks a lot like Jim Rose from Jim Rose Circus Sideshow. He has this scraggly, you know, mm-hmm. black goatee thing going on, and his hair was kind of longish and slicked back. And um, his apartment was lit all in candles. And when you first walk in, you're in his bedroom. And instead Weird. of ha- yeah, and instead of having a bed in his bedroom, he had a coffin which he slept in, like that was his bed. Like he would close the door and everything. He would he would just or close the lid. He I would guess. just I guess I don't know. Like was it, it was like, just so weird. It was a real, it was a real coffin, and not a modern coffin, like an old like wooden like coffin. The, oh, I was gonna say like was it like like the octagonish almost like shape of like like an old Wild West coffin, like a pine yes, box coffin, but wider, but okay. wider. And it was I remember it was lined in like red fabric. Of course. I mean, it was just like. All right. And my first impression was this guy is putting on a show for anybody who comes and interviews him. Like, this is what it's got to be. Yeah. Scare tactic. Yeah. And and I mean, his work is, like I said, very, very disturbing. We'll put links to his artwork in there as Mm -hmm, well. Yeah. And, you know, you would pass through his bedroom. We went to like the living room area, which had like a lot of books in it and stuff like that. We sat down and we started talking about like his process. And he told me about the one, you know, the one haired brush that he used. He would incorporate blood, urine, and semen into all of his work because he wanted to have part of him be involved in like the, meaning as a material not like seen on canvas but like actually used to paint right right so like it would be just kind of intertwined like with everything um you would know which is which sure just you know right that it was somewhere in there yeah like i wouldn't like i wouldn't be rubbing my hands or all go over up and it. like lick the artwork <laughs> yeah oh i know what this is <laughs> salty <laughs> good lord so he would go and just, you know, he, I, like I said, I thought it was this act. And then he started telling me these stories about, like, when he first started. And he would, in order to get his name out there known, he would go and do, like, these weird shows where he would strap on, like, these metal plates to his chest and light, like, half sticks of dynamite, like, underneath him, like, as part of, like, these circus acts that he would be a part of. And, you know, he would collect these weird weird things from all around the world and one of his most favorite possessions was like this pickled punk which was pickled punk a pickled punk is basically a baby fetus in a jar and he kept referring to his child like the whole time and i'm looking around the apartment i'm like number one there's only one coffin (laughs) <laughs> so like I don't know where you're fitting the kid. Like it's not it's not like a bunk bed coffin. Like you know you're ready. I got top, but <laughs> you like guacamole. So from Step Brothers, okay, I gotcha. I gotcha. So um, we would go, and I was just like, where the hell is this guy fitting the kid in this hole? And then we would look, and 
he goes, do you want to meet him? And I'm thinking, like, maybe there's another room or something. And he pulls out this jar. And I'm like, all right, this just went up a level of fucked upness. (laughs) Like, Like, maybe the coffin's not just an act. (laughs) But, I mean, sitting in, just sitting in there. And he didn't have a lot of work around his his place. He had, like, another place where, like, he used for a studio. He did work from home a little bit. So he did have some pieces around. Um, again, I don't know if that was for show or if that was really the real sure. deal with him. But you sat there and you felt like something's going to happen while I'm here. <laughs> like, because his windows had plastic bags over them. It was very dark throughout the whole... Like, I fell in love with that apartment, know, to be I honest know. with you. I'm like, it's dark. <laughs> I'm like, you know, it would be awesome if you like slept in a coffin, you closed the lid, especially in a city apartment. It's like, it's too loud, close the lid, it's fine hook up a little air conditioner in there, everything will be all right. (laughs) But, like, it was very, you felt that angst, unlike any other time you saw artwork. Like, it was no longer, like, tulips or violets or sunflowers. It was, it was scary as shit being in that apartment. And I remember leaving it and being like, oh, my God, like, I have got to get the hell back and get this story out because... It is evoking an emotion that I didn't know existed. Right. Because you don't see that in normal, everyday museums. Right. Because, yeah, like, and that was the thing, like, before I was a writer, I took art lessons for quite a number of years. And, you know, I entered, like, and I was, like, you know, childhood stuff. And, like, I entered art contests. And I had ribbons and things like that. But, like, I never felt like... I did it because I did enjoy it, but, like, I felt like my teacher was, like, she's known for, like, these wonderful, happy, horse shit watercolors, and I'm not saying she's not good, but, like, all of the artists that, like, I've seen that came from her that, like, you know, have done well for themselves have that same exact style, and it's, like, you basically just incorporated you just kind of followed like the paint by numbers that she like franchised. Yeah, she exactly. basically franchised yeah, herself. And it was like, and like I look back and like my parents still have the artwork hanging on their walls and stuff. And it's like, wow, like I can't believe I did that because now I can't even draw a fucking stick figure. But like, I feel like me being like, like that's not who I was. Like I'm not a, flowery person I'm not like I am writing my dark haikus and poems and things and that is the true who I am inside like writing about the things that scare me so it's like that's why like Giger and you know when you showed me Coleman's work was just like wow like there's something there that I like to harness and I think that the chances are very very good that you abandoned doing art because the art you were taught wasn't you. Right. And that's when I, and like, it and wasn't. And that's why you write still to this day, but yeah. you don't do art to this day. Yeah. And it was that thick. And it was soon after that I like got my first journal and just started writing down all of these things in my head. And it's not like, oh my God, I was like suicidal. It wasn't like, like I've never had thoughts like that. Like, and I had a very vanilla, bright, sunshiny childhood. It's just. These are the things that fascinate me. Right. It's not pulling out that emotion that you mm-hmm. need. To survive, because you need that yang if you're going to be all yin. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that that just makes me think of a black and white cookie, and I really want Oh, <laughs> don't even start with that shit, man. I can go for a black and white cookie right now. Just the white part, though. See, we'd split it in the middle so you can God both. damn it, I get stuck with the black part always. You don't we split it in the middle the other way? <clears throat> so, another artist that I loved... Growing up, and who was 
detrimental in setting up the past magazine, which is something that I went bankrupt over trying to develop over the years a long time ago. But it's also (laughs) something that kind of brought us to this point because it's like, you know, kind of coming full circle to the digital age now, which, you know. Right. This is basically what the past magazine was where we would just write about whatever the hell we wanted to write about and put it out there and hope that it stuck. And back then, I mean, the magazine itself did great, but it was hard to do, you know, writing, designing, producing, and then like delivering it and then also getting advertising for it, which is where we lacked and then eventually (laughs) went bankrupt because of. But I remember before we did our first issue, I did a comp of what I wanted the magazine to look like. And I put my favorite artist on the cover which I'm not ready to mention yet. Okay. But I went to a gallery opening, and it was a very, very small gallery in the West Village. In fact, it was on um, West Broadway. It used to be called the Best Cutler Gallery, and they used to do alternative artists. And they even, not them per se, but they had a magazine called Art, Alt, oh, what is it? Alternative Art Magazine. Okay. And... Robert Williams was this artist who was all over the Best Cutler Gallery. Um, There was also a place called the Psychedelic Solution, which was over in the West Village. This place used to have old concert posters and such. And Psychedelic Solution, Best Cutler Gallery had a ton of this guy's artwork. Robert Williams used to do these very stylized 50s pictures like it was 50s 60s um and he would just incorporate like it was almost as if someone took a snapshot of an acid trip and put it on canvas that is like the perfect (laughs) description of it yeah and it was mind-blowing because there would be like these old like souped up cars and like you know, chicks in polka dotted dresses like and UFOs yeah. and like aliens and like weird things chasing. It was like modern pinup, like pinup for like the modern age with like, yeah. You might call it pop ups because it was like pop art, pinup art mixed like, together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but not like, oh, just the like, like there was like a dark, like a depth to it. Like it went deeper than just the pinups that you would normally think. Right, and it's and he had so much in those images that if you zoomed in on any one part, it could be a different story. Right, yeah. So like you would like zoom in on one part and you would see like a bunch of like teenagers from like the 50s or the 60s riding in like a hot rod down the road and they're like all smiling and stuff like that. And then if you zoom to another corner of the picture, They'd be like a spaceship with an alien shooting lasers at them and stuff, mm-hmm. but them not realizing it was happening. Or there might be like a dead body on the side of the road. Like it was so much crammed into one spot. Right, yeah. But seeing that for the first time, it was like, it was very much like, this is life. You can look at so many different aspects of life and see all of these different elements happening at any one time. Mm -hmm. And that was like mind blowing to me. Right, yeah. Completely aside from the fact that his work was just unbelievable. Like, he still is like one of my favorites. And after seeing like his work at the Best Cutler Gallery, I remember asking her if 
she could pass along my phone number to him so I can interview Asking him. Who her? Um, Bess Cutler. Oh, oh, I thought. Oh. And I and I said, well, because I was at the I gallery. I thought you were saying best, best. No, no, best. <laughs> like Bessie. I got you, Bess. But I don't want to say Bessie because I don't want to like upset. Because no, I don't no, know no, where no. she is in the art world right now. It's just Bess. Okay, it's Bess. just Bess Cutler. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So <laughs> um, I remember meeting her and asking, like, is there a way you can get my contact information to Robert Williams? I know I knew because she had told me that he was in California. And she goes, it might be a time difference or whatever. I was like, it's fine. This is way before the internet or anything right. was available. And uh, one day I just, my phone rang and it was this dude. And he was the coolest guy ever, ever. And I originally wanted to talk to him for 15 minutes. That's what mm-hmm. I had planned to talk to him for. I had yeah, 15 minutes worth of questions. Yeah, that's a normal amount of time. And I asked him about his work and stuff like that. And after we got all done with the interview and I was like on cloud nine because he was <laughs> able to just like sit through like this first time guy, like <laughs> trying to get through his first issue of this project that would eventually be the death of him. Remember that time you were in the Beatles? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I feel like a lot of the interview went like that because I was just like, man, I was like, I can't believe that I am talking right. to somebody, even though he's very underground. I couldn't believe that I had this guy. And after it was over, he started asking me about, like, the magazine. Like, where was it going? What was it doing? If I ever needed help with it, let him know. If I ever needed contacts, let him know. He knows a lot of people. Like, he was the most positive part of trying to help get this thing to where it was. Right. I, I mean, aside, I'm not saying, like, the people who helped with the magazine right. at the yeah, time didn't help. But that, he yeah. was just fucking unreal and he had sent over like a bunch of like slides that we can use and prints that we can use and and i was just like my god man we are so lucky to know somebody like this and um at one point he was like you know if you could interview anybody else who would it be and i was like well my answer would be roger dean who did the Yes album covers. Mm-hmm. The album cover world, once upon a time, was the mecca of art. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like I bought more albums based on the album cover artwork than on the music that was inside of right, that absolutely. artwork. Absolutely, <laughs> And even, like, when it transitioned, you know, like it did in my youth, to, like, CDs, like, there was still that, like, you would open up the booklet and there would be like these pages of artwork or lyrics and stuff, but like it was still such an experience. Yeah, it was great, and like Robert Williams did um, <laughs> the Appetite for Destruction artwork from Gun- for Guns and Roses, right, their first album. Um, it was like if you've never seen it, I'm sure you could find it online. It has got to be around now. It's like. This raped woman in an alleyway with like a machine, like I guess that had done the raping. And um, it was so brutal and so violent, but the colors were so happy that looking at it, you were kind of torn like, do I like this or do I not like this? Yeah, it's like, it's like I love it. And then you're like, oh, but I really shouldn't because <laughs> right. the chick is totally just raped on the street. And the record company for Guns N' Roses was like, no way. I still feel that to this day, there is no better, like, 
portrayal of Guns N' Roses than that image. Like, they were that... At that time, yeah. Yeah, like... that album, oh my God. You looked at it, and you're like going, man, I love it. And then when you really look at it, you're like, there is so much wrong with that band, like the inner turmoil of it, and all the stuff that would go wrong, and the band coming on, like, way later than what it showed up. Like... That picture basically summed up what Guns N' Roses were in one image. It was like a premonition of like what that band was because they, I mean, my God, they were so good. They were amazing, but there were so many fucked up elements to them, no matter what. Like you couldn't look at it and be like, ah, this is, it was fucked up. But man, he did incredible with it. So going from him to another album cover artist would have been an awesome transition. Roger Dean, like I said, mm-hmm. is my biggest influence ever as an artist. Ever, 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 ever. And now, here I am, a few years later, talking to Robert Williams on the phone. He goes, oh, you want Roger Dean's phone number? I got it. I'll give it to you. <laughs> and I still, to this day, have Roger Dean's phone number in England, which I cannot bring myself to call. Like, and I'm sure it might have changed or he might have sure, moved or yeah. something like that. But to me, it's like meeting the person <laughs> who paved the way for your future. What can you possibly say to somebody like that? You- it's Yeah, it's, it's a frightening thought to like think of like someone who made you want to be a certain thing in life. Even still to this day, like he pushed you into like you're you may not be an illustrator, but you're a designer and you're creating and you're making these beautiful images of your own. Like meeting them is daunting because it's like, well, what if this person's an asshole or what if this person like doesn't even. I don't even... think he is. I I'm don't just, think I'm he not is. saying that he is, but I'm just saying like those are the things that like I would like, oh, my God, like I don't want to meet you because like what if you're. Like, what if you ruin my image that I have? And like, because you're on a, he's on a pedestal, you know? Right. It goes back to what you were saying before with the Chris Farley thing. Like, remember that time you did Closer (laughs) to the Edge? Uh, Remember that time you did Anderson Bruford, Wakeman and Howe's album cover? Like, that's, I feel like that's what it would really be. And I don't want to come across as an idiot to like my most influential person in 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 my career so i mean right now he is still producing work it is freaking amazing and uh you know i love that dude what can i say well i'm sure he loves you too tommy i don't think he knows who i am (laughs) (laughs) and with that depressing thought let's just go right into a did you know (laughs) did you know Did you know my entire profession is thanks in part to Roger Dean? I did not know that. Actually, I did, but I just always feel like I need to say, like... You're just playing along. You're just playing along. I am, yeah. I'm a good friend. I I appreciate that. I do appreciate that. I'm good like that. It was his work that made me want to become the artist that I am today. And although my college had a different path for me, I will never have walked through the doors of that institution if it were not for him. It's strange to think how one person can have such an impact, and it's unexplainable. Like, art is such an emotional thing, Mm -hmm. and for me, his artwork was an escape, and it showed me, like, all right, before him, music was definitely an escape. Like, you know, if 
I am a fan of Yes. So I would put on a Yes album and I would be in it. Mm -hmm. But in hearing. Roger Dean put images out that made me actually be inside of that work. Because, like, would you listen to it and then, like, just look at the artwork as you were listening to it? Oh, yeah, I'd stare at it. Stare at it. And and it would be like going, it just fits. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing that makes Robert Williams so successful, is that you can go and look at that Guns N' Roses album cover that was, you know, eventually banned and say, like, I get it. Like, I not only hear this music, I can see this music. It's why you can look at Giger and say, I can understand him because as I'm watching this movie, I see this thing that he actually made. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for this piece, none of none of this movie would have made any sense. Right. Like, it just would have been another sci-fi movie that no one's going to really care about. Like, it was those elements that stood out that made these things so powerful. So, with that said, maybe there needs to be an uprising of people looking for more alternative arts. And I feel like we need to make it a mission in this show at some point to try to get more of these so-called underground artists. I agree. On and talk to them about like, in depth, what is it that makes you so much different from everybody else? We could see visually what makes you different. Mm-hmm. But like after watching the documentary last night, there's something about Giger that no one would have suspected. Like his personality is not what you would have suspected. No, no. Robert Williams is not the personality you would suspect from somebody who has aliens chasing cars down the road trying to destroy teenagers or having women raped in alleyways (laughs) but it works and it would be great to understand why more and that's like as a journalist that is like every single person who i've talked to from you know big big names to little local artists back in pennsylvania or local musicians back in pennsylvania like that is always something that has like just what makes you do what you do because that's like i know why i do it it's because I have to, but it's deeper than that. Like, not have to. Like, no, but I, I mean, have seriously, to for me. We have to do it for, you know, not only just for you, but you know that mentally it pays off for you. Mm-hmm. But deeper rooted, what is it? That is the payoff. Like, what drives you? Like, it was fear that drove Giger. It was f- his his drive to, you know, meet his demons and... It wasn't to become a famous artist because I don't think he would have wanted that. I think he lived exactly how he wanted to in that house full of his stuff with his things around him, the women and the people that loved him. And that's what he wanted. But like it was just kind of like awesome that this whole other world happened outside of him with his work. Yeah. And it certainly did work for him. And not only did it work for him, but other people were able to grasp onto it. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing with these people. Some of them. There are certain people in the world who will share a thought, an idea, a vision, and people will just latch onto it. If only those people were more readily available to the masses, maybe we would understand things in a different way than what we do now. Because life isn't all tulips and orchids. Life is more scary shit than it is good shit. Yeah, look at look at the news right now. <laughs> look at the news right now. 
I think there needs to be an artist uprising because it's time for that. Because every time the there's because there is a seismic shift coming in the world. We don't know what it is, but I think we might know. So <laughs> like I'm not gonna like don't there, promote it. <laughs> like there's just like there's a shift that's coming. And whenever something major happens in the world at large, there's artists and other culture like there's cultural things education like cultural education that happens around that and i think it's time that that starts getting out and those things predict and shift Mm -hmm. like major events so you're right it is things that need to get out yeah like look at the 60s you know like the things that you remember are like there were horrible things that happened in the 60s like vietnam and things like that and then it's like but there was woodstock and there were folk music and there were things like all of those kind of things. So, silver mylar balloons and such. <laughs> <laughs> and that is this week's Did You Know? Did you know? Well, everybody, that's another show. That is episode 22, three or 23, right? 23, 23 shows. 23 weeks, man. 23 weeks. Where do we just keep getting this gold from? Inside the dark recesses of our mind. Apparently. <laughs> so thank you all for listening. If you want to learn more about us, tech, check out highregardshow.com. And if you have something to say, drop us a note at highregardshow at gmail.com. And you can also troll us on all of our social media outlets as High Regard Show. Thank you so much again for listening, everybody. Hopefully we get to see you at Gotham Comedy Club tomorrow which or later on today depending on when you download the show (laughs) march 7th yep i'm at the seven o'clock show and nikki will be there and we'll have some high regard show stickers if you want so just come up and ask us for some we'll give you some of those or whatever and look for the girl in the red cat's eye glasses if you attend meow (laughs) have a good week bye everybody (laughs) 